This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. You guys remember when we were kids playing that game, Musical Chairs? Yeah. Uh, so the way Musical Chairs works is you, you would set up these chairs in a circle, and then uh, you would walk around the chairs while the music played, and then when the music stopped, right, everybody's got to find a chair and sit down, and you got to push the guy out of the way so that you get the chair... The kicker is there's one less chair than the number of people, aren't there? And so somebody's left without a chair, and they're out. And then what you do is you take out another chair, and you start this whole thing over again until there's only two people left, and there's just this one chair. And you do this weird, like, duck dance where you're like, you, you sprint around, and, and then you stop. And then you sprint, and then you stop. Like, I was almost a professional musical chairs player, as you can tell. And you keep going until there's one person left. And, it, and it's a game of like constant chaos, isn't it? Like, can we be honest, your anxiety increasing just a little bit just seeing me do this? But it's a game that really, it teaches two tactics. It, it shapes two behaviors. You're either always running toward that next chair, never stopping, or you're always standing next to a chair, never moving. You're either frantic or you're frozen. And the thing is, we keep playing that game for the rest of our lives, don't we? In some way. Living in fear uh, of the music stopping and not having a chair. And so we're, we're running frantically in this constant search for peace and security and never stopping. And other times we are frozen, clinging to this false sense of peace and security, never moving. And the longer we live and the longer we play this game, the higher our anxiety rises. The faster we run, the more frozen we become. And all the while, it continues to distract our attention and draw our affection further and further away from God. And as the noise of life builds, as the chaos of our world grows over time, it just begins to drown out God's voice, doesn't it? Until we no longer hear him, we no longer recognize the voice of the good shepherd. And yet it's there in the midst of the, the noise and the chaos of this frantic and panicked life that we hear God calling out to us in this psalm. And, and hear me, he's not whispering to you, be still. No, he's yelling, Stop! right? Stop the fighting. Stop, stop playing this game. He's trying to get our attention. And he's saying, just, can you just take a hot second and be still? Catch your breath. Allow the noise to quiet. And in the stillness of that silence, know that I am God. and You don't need to be. So this morning, we're going to continue our series, Spiritual Rhythms of the Psalms. We're going to turn to Psalm 46 and looking at the spiritual practices of silence and solitude. This much-needed time that we, that we set apart to simply be with God, quieting the noise, calming the chaos, and deepening our awareness of God and our affection for God. And it's in that stillness that I want you to hear God inviting you to experience peace, his peace, 
peace that I think we all desire, peace, the psalmist says, we find when we live under his protection, in his presence, and by his power, right? Turning to and trusting to God and knowing that he is God and that we are not and we don't need to be. And so the psalmist, he begins here with a reminder, number one, that living under God's protection brings us peace. Right, living under God's protection brings us peace. And he begins with this reminder because we need to first remember who God is so we don't forget what it is that God provides, the protection that he provides. And the psalmist begins here in verse 1. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I, I love that word, refuge. It's almost like if you didn't know what it meant, it still just conveys this feeling of safety and security, doesn't it? It, it is a safe word. It's refuge, it is, it is a place of protection that you can run to in times of trouble. It is a place that will protect you from your enemies. Uh, maybe you might be thinking of like an animal refuge, a, a place where we protect endangered animals from their enemies, which usually most of the time is us. But this isn't just any kind of refuge. No, this is a strong refuge. It is a, a shelter that will protect you during the storm without ever blowing over. It is a bunker that will protect you during the battle without ever being infiltrated because that is who God is. He is our refuge, our strong refuge, our safe place that we can run to in times of trouble knowing that he is always there that he is always present, always willing and wanting to help, always wanting to protect us, his children, offering protection that brings us peace. He goes on to say in verse 2 and 3, he says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its, its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's as if the psalmist is describing the scenes that we've seen coming out of Turkey this week, hasn't it? After being hit by a, a devastating magnitude 7.8 earthquake on Monday as the earth literally trembled under their feet and continued to tremble with over 100 aftershocks, thousands of lives lost. It seems like every half day when you go to look at the number, it's increased by another thousand or two. Tens of thousands injured, millions impacted and displaced as homes and businesses have been destroyed. And winter cold and snow is bringing a, a second wave of this disaster almost. And like they're in that instant, everything that once seemed so secure was suddenly shaken and their, their life was, was left in ruins. And that's the chaos that the psalmist is describing here with the, the seas, the waters that, that, that represent chaos in the ancient Near Eastern culture, roaring in with, with, such, with such force that the, the mountains, right, these images of, of permanence and power, these, these symbols of, of certainty and security, they, they trembled, they, they cowered as the water rushed in, taking them out to sea, consumed by the chaos. And this image of the, the roaring waters rushing in that the psalmist describes, some believe it to be a description of the Assyrian army coming in and invading Judah, a story we read about in 2 Kings 18 and 19. 
At this time, the, right, the nation of Israel, this, this, this kingdom of permanence and power under King David and King Solomon, uh, it, it, it had fractured, hadn't it? It had, it had divided in two. And having already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, the Assyrians, um, they set their sights on, on Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so King Hezekiah, right, he, he, he trembled as he, he got word that the Assyrians had already captured fortified cities in the north. And Sennacherib, the, the, the king of Assyria, he, he sent messengers ahead of the army into Jerusalem, telling the people not to depend on their king. He, he would fail them. Telling Hezekiah not to be deceived by his God because he would fail him. And so Hezekiah, in a bit of a panic, he, he, he sent word to the prophet Isaiah, and he went to the temple to pray. Because when we don't know what to do, we, we turn to God in prayer, don't we? We should. And Isaiah, he wrote to him. He wrote him a letter. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. These guys are never going to get to Jerusalem. The city fell a couple hundred years later to the Babylonians, but right now it was going to stay secure. And he's reminding Hezekiah, God is our refuge and strength. Not Egypt, not other nations, not your own army. God is our refuge and strength, a strong refuge who is present with you, who will help you. And living under God's protection brought King Hezekiah peace. Even it felt like the, the waters were rushing in. Even felt like the, the earth was going to give way underneath him. And like, if it's that easy, just trust in God. He'll give you peace. Let's go home. If it's that easy, why do we continue playing this ridiculous game of musical chairs the rest of our lives? Why do we continue to remain frozen in fear or frantically running around, in both cases, filled with worry and anxiety, feeling lost and alone, feeling stuck with nowhere to go? I think oftentimes it's because we expected God to deliver us from the trouble, didn't we? To prevent the trouble from ever even happening in the first place. And when he doesn't live up to our expectations, when it seems to us as though God has failed, we turn to and we trust in everyone and everything but God, don't we? We turn to those things for protection. We turn to those things hoping they'll bring us peace. And, and we become so arrogant that we begin trusting in ourselves, thinking that we can get ourselves up. We're going to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. We're arrogant. We also, we become dependent on others, an unhealthy dependence on others, expecting them to get us out. And when everyone has failed us, we become hopeless, just giving up and numbing ourselves with whatever we can find, thinking we're never going to get out. It's never going to get better, so... I'll just pretend like it's not happening. And we're the dog in the meme in the middle of a fiery building saying everything's fine. And as the noise and the chaos distracts us, it distracts us from what we know to be true, that God never promised to deliver us from our troubles, did he? No, he promised here to be with us in our troubles and deliver us through 
our troubles, knowing God is our refuge. He is our source of strength to endure the battle when we are weak. He is where we find protection to weather the storm when we are afraid. And that means that our eternity is secure no matter what the world might throw at us, and it is secure in Christ. Amen? That is our security, no matter what happens. Peter writes that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept and protected in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded and protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time when Christ returns. Living under God's protection brings peace. And therefore, we have plenty out there to fear, but we will not fear. There's plenty out there to be afraid of, but we will not fear. And then the psalmist writes, Selah. It's one of those words we don't quite know what it means, which means all theologians and scholars want to tell you exactly what it means. I don't think we need to know because I think in the positioning in here, if we think of this as a, as a song, think of this as a song being sung. Selah. Perfect timing by the airplane. Just let it reverberate. Just let that peace sink in. Just sit in it for a second. I mean, we're talking about silence and solitude today after all. I thought about giving you a 40-minute nap during service today. Let that peace of God surround you and calm you. And living under God's protection, though, it implies something, doesn't it? It implies living in God's presence, doesn't it? It's hard to live under his protection if we're not living in his presence. And so that's the second thing the psalmist tells us. Because it is there, living in and abiding in God's presence, that we find peace. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. It says, God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Setting has changed quite a bit, hasn't it? Feels like we're in Paris right now. Close your eyes with me. We're in Paris, sitting in a coffee shop out on the patio. You don't have to close your eyes. I'm going to, though. Because I'm imagining like we're the Seine River's flowing by, and like it, it's beautiful. You can you can almost hear some in the background playing La Vie and Rose on an accordion on the street corner. You're, you're sipping your espresso. You're uh, you're taking a bite of that that croissant. You're even figuring out how to get a French accent. That's that's what I picture when I read this. But see, the settings change. Rather than the water uh, roaring in from the, from the depths of the unknown, it is, it's just gently flowing through the city, which, unlike the mountains which fell and were drug out to sea, this city is immovable for no other reason than that this is where God's presence dwells. This is his holy habitation. His, his presence is what calmed the chaotic water. It's what calmed the noise, his presence is what brought peace to this city. And I love, we get like glimpses of this city throughout scripture. 
Uh, the prophet Ezekiel, he was, he was taken on a tour of the city in a vision, and he, and he saw the river. Uh, the prophet Zechariah, he, he spoke of, uh, of living water flowing out of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem ain't got no river in it. It's in the middle of the desert. And then the apostle John, when he was given a, a vision of, of the new heaven and the new earth, right, this renewal of God's creation upon Christ's return. He, he saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, a, a city of peace where God's presence would dwell among his people. And, and he says that flowing from the throne of God through the streets of the city was this river of the water of life, and it was as bright as crystal. He's painting this image of our eternal dwelling in a renewed and restored creation, not some disembodied spiritual eternal existence, but a physical existence here in our resurrected, glorified bodies in a city. Our eternal dwelling of this eternal peace in the presence of God. But you don't need to look at the news to know that that peace hasn't arrived yet, has it? Not in full. This city, this peace, it's not arrived yet because the chaotic imagery from verse 2 and 3, they are still very much, they still very much remain a, a present reality in our broken and fallen world, don't they? The ground still trembles beneath us. As chaos reigns with, with nations raging in an uproar like rushing water, with kingdoms trembling and crumbling and being overthrown. And so make no mistake, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is already at hand. Amen? It is already, but the fullness is not yet. The fullness of this kingdom of peace has not yet been fully consummated and won't be until Christ's second advent, until his return. And our lives between the resurrection and his return, we, we live in the midst of this brokenness. We experience and are impacted by this brokenness of our hearts, the hearts of others and the world around us. But in that brokenness, the Lord of hosts is with us, isn't he? God is present. He is with us. He dwells within us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And the God of Jacob is our fortress, the one in whom we find peace in the presence of chaos and conflict that consumes our world. God is that ever-present chair that will never be taken away in this game that we're playing. So we don't need to be frantic, we don't need to be frozen, because we find peace when we live in the presence of God. This peace, psalmist says it doesn't just come by living under God's protection or in his presence, but also living by God's power, right? living by God's power, knowing that God and God alone has the power to usher in this peace that we all desire. And the psalmist, he cries out here, he says, come, behold the works of the Lord. He, um, he kind of sounds like one of those carnival barkers, doesn't he? Like stepping on his box. Step right up. Step right up, folks. Come and, and see. See the marvels of God. See the power that brings us peace. And it doesn't cost you anything. Just step right up and see, see how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns chariots with fire. And we're thinking that all sounds a little too good to be true, doesn't it? 
I think we hear stuff like that and we're like, we all long for that peace. But it seems so foreign, so distant, so impossible. We long for a day when there'll be no more violence, no more bloodshed, no more wars. A day when there'll be no more invasion or colonization of other nations. No more enslavement or oppression of other peoples. No more, no more need for a military or defense department budget. No more automatic weapons. No more semi-automatic weapons. No more weapons of any kind for that matter. No more stories of nations like Russia invading Ukraine and the atrocities they have committed. No more stories like Tyree Nichols filling our news cycle. And no more stories of innocent victims of violence inflicted by those who abuse their power over others. It feels hopeless. You feel helpless. What do we do? We don't have any answers. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say, where to turn. Yet, what we do know, what is clear and certain in Scripture, is that we as the church, as God's people, as followers of Jesus, um, we have a job to do, don't we? We have a job to do. God said that we are required, not suggested, not recommended. God requires of us to do justice, to correct oppression, to love kindness as we walk humbly with God. We see this in Micah 6. We see this in Proverbs 31. We see this in Isaiah 1. We have a job to do, church. We don't sit back and idly wait for peace. No, we are to be peacemakers, Jesus said, aren't we? We are to be people who pursue peace, people of peace, who use whatever power and influence we might have to pursue peace. The, the, not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of shalom, of wholeness. Using our voice to speak out for those who have no voice. Actively working and partnering with God to restore his once very good creation. Living by God's power to bring that peace, though, not ours. Knowing we don't have the power within us to do that, do we? Knowing that we typically resort to violence when we rely on our own power to bring in peace. And knowing that only by the power of God upon Christ's return will the promised prince of peace execute his judgment and restore his once very good creation, consummating this kingdom of peace where things like death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more because those things, they will have passed away. Amen? but we got a job to do in the meantime to partner with that. And the more that we live our lives under God's protection, the more that we live our lives in his presence, the more that we live our lives by his power and not ours, the psalmist says the more that we will experience his peace in our lives, in our world, the more that we will feel his love, the more that we will hear the voice of the one who calls us his beloved child, our Abba, Father, as but as Henry Nouwen writes in his book, the, uh, the Return of the Prodigal Son, he writes, the farther I run away from the place where God dwells, the further I, I run from God's presence and drift away and the longer that I've been away, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. And the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. 
the more we continue to play musical chairs, either running frantically or standing frozen in search of a false peace. And, and this drift, it is so subtle, you almost don't even know it's happening. It is so slow. It, it slowly begins by losing trust in his voice. You just don't believe what God says anymore. Then you begin to just no longer listen to his voice. You tune him out until eventually you no longer even recognize the voice of the good shepherd calling out to you. It is just noise in the background. And that's what makes the spiritual practices of silence and solitude so helpful in our lifelong journey of faithfully following the way of Jesus. Because in the solitude, we, we separate ourselves from the chaos for a brief period of time. And in the silence, we separate ourselves from the noise. We enter a place, a refuge, where we can hear God calling, not in earthquakes, in fire, and in loud music, but the subtle whisper in the wind. We hear his voice calling out to us, calling us home, calling us back to him, calling us to be still, to stop whatever you're doing and listen to me. The thing is, um, we're more like a rambunctious first or second grade class, and all God's teachers said amen. And so God, God's not like, no, God's like, stop, be still. He's like a teacher, snap the fingers, focus, eyes on me. Don't you guys do something like that? Focus, we awake, everybody with me? Know that I am God. Not me, him, I'm speaking for him, just to clarify. <laughs> he is saying to you, know that I am God. So stop trying to be. You don't need to be. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be honored throughout the world by all of creation as its creator. And so he's calling out to you. He is inviting you to come and live under my protection, to live in my presence and live by my power so that you will experience my peace in this chaotic world that we live in. I remember a couple summers, I had one of my first real experiences of uh, intentionally trying to practice silence and solitude. I was reading uh, Rich Lotus's book, The Deeply Formed Life, that we, uh, a book that we read in the way. And I was on the back patio in our house, and I was actually, I was working on my thesis project in seminary that would become the way. And uh, he tells this story of Mother Teresa. Y'all know who Mother Teresa is? Um, she was being interviewed, and uh, they asked her how, you know, what she said when she prays. And she says, I, I don't talk, I simply listen. Hmm. The reporter thought to himself, he's like, okay, I, I, think, I think I got a handle on what you're doing. You, you're just listening, okay. So the, the interviewer asked her, so then um, what is it that God says to you when you pray? And she's like, no, 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 you, 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 you got it all wrong. Says he also doesn't talk. He also simply listens. And there's just like that long, awkward silence because he's like, I don't know what to do now. I don't get this. This makes no sense to me. 
And, and Mother Teresa says that only like an 85-year-old woman can say to what I imagine to be like a 25-year-old dude who thinks he's got it all figured out. I'm, I'm picturing her saying this to me, just to clarify. It's more like 45 than 25. <laughs> she says to him, if you can't understand the meaning of what I've just said, I'm sorry, but there's no way I can explain it any better. You know, we talk a lot about prayer, and I think we get it into our head. Prayer is, is when you're speaking. And like one of the things, you know, we've been meeting at 9.30 to pray in the lobby on Sunday mornings. Everybody's welcome. And, and here's the thing. If you are there and you are present and you are taking a posture of opening yourself to God, you are praying whether words ever come out of your mouth or not. Did you know that? Prayer is more about a posture that you take than the words that you say. I think some of us have been scared of prayer, especially corporate prayer. Woo! Remember those days when I used to break us up into groups at the end of the sermon and we had to pray? Some of you were like, Ash, I'm leaving this church if you do that again. <laughs> Thanks for staying. We just break up into one group out there at 9.30. But I was like, I, I want that. I wanted that. Do you, you want that? Do you want what she was explaining? And so right there in the backyard, I was like, I'm going to give it a try. I mean, how am I going to help lead people through something that I've never experienced? So I was like, okay. So I sat in that Adirondack chair in the backyard. I just sat there. It was a beautiful summer day. And I closed my eyes and I just sat there. And you know how when I make you guys sit in silence, there's a little bit of the time you're like, oh my God, he's making us do this again. That's phase one. Phase two is like, he's still making us do this. Phase three is like, fine, I'll do this. I entered into phase three. And I felt another chair come up beside me. I felt the presence of something over here on my left side. And then I, I felt this hand rest on top of my hand. And then I felt this arm around my shoulder. And the next thing I know, I'm like curled up into the arms of someone and I'm just weeping in the backyard. And I'm like, yeah, I want more of that. Now, mind you, Every time I sit in the backyard in that exact Adirondack chair in that exact situation, I've not experienced the same thing. Like, that's not normative for me. Um, for us to enter into a time of silence and expect, like, you to be just zapped like that each and every time, that's, no. It's about spending time together. You got, you got that friend that you can just sit on the couch with and watch something for an hour, and you're not on your phones even. You're just with each other watching something. You don't feel have to fill the, the void with sound. That's what I want for you with God. I want you to just be with him. That's what silence and solitude is all about. And so I've begun to incorporate this in a more regular rhythm in my life. This morning I spent a, uh, about 10 minutes in silence and uh, full disclosure, I couldn't stop thinking about my need for more bookshelves. <laughs> Beck and I were in my office yesterday morning after uh, we got done uh, talking about some things for, for kids and youth. And uh, she's like, why are all your books on the floor? Did an earthquake hit? And I said, no, those are my stacks of shame. They're the unread books that I had to clear off the shelf because I ran out of shelf space. And she's like, well, why don't you buy more bookshelves? And we spent the next few minutes trying to find a spot for my bookshelves. And then this morning in my silence, I was like, oh, I could put one right there. <laughs> I want it to be a more regular rhythm for you. I want you to begin incorporating this practice in your own life, calming the chaos and quieting the noise and allowing it 
to deepen your awareness of God and your affection for God. But here's what makes the practice of silence so hard, possibly the hardest one that we've um, introduced yet. It's that there's nothing for you to do other than to be. There's nothing for you to do other than to be. And we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to not do. So then we're going to practice that, aren't we? We're going to practice this. And hear me, you've already practiced this over the course of this series. We had um, smaller portions of silence as we did examine, as we did Lectio Divina. So now what we're going to do is we're going to expand that time of silence. And I'm asking everyone, I asked a few of you, what would be like a, a amount of time of silence that you think you could do, but maybe a little uncomfortable, and people are saying like two, three minutes, please. I'm asking to set aside 10 minutes. Mind you, I was going to start with an hour, and the people that said two or three brought me back down to 10. <laughs> Not every day, but just once this week. One 10-minute time of silence in that refuge with God. And 10 minutes all of a sudden feels like an eternity, doesn't it? Yeah. So I want to give you some structure to this time. Let's, let's ease into this. So uh, we're going to kind of break it into halves. In your first roughly five minutes, uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a liturgy to follow of praying and reading. And then kind of in the second roughly five minutes is just sitting with God, spending time with God like you're spending time with a friend. And what I'm going to walk through, we're going to share all this on the sermon pages we had each week, but, but follow with me. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to describe it to you, and then we're going to actually practice it together. Sound good? Good. Uh, so first step, prepare. Prepare for this time of silence in God, and do this by grabbing three things. Grab your phone, um, put it on silent, but grab your phone, and grab a pen, and grab a journal. And then I want you to find a quiet, comfortable spot, which means uh, spouses, we may need to remove little ones from the space. Or give them time to leave, because uh, if they're in the room right next door, it's not quiet, is it? So we got to help each other out in this if there's kids involved. Find a quiet, uh, comfortable spot, and set the timer on your phone for 10 minutes. This is so that you're not wondering when 10 minutes are up. It's going to tell you. And then I just want you to take three deep breaths in. Can you do that with me right now? You're just positioning and preparing your body, calming the chaos, quieting the noise, and allowing your body to begin to relax. And, and over these next 10 minutes as you're doing this, um, when distractions enter your mind, not if, but when, they will come, bookshelf. Um, it might be work, it might be groceries, it might be the kids, it might be what you're going to do this weekend. Um, here's what you acknowledge the thought. Don't try and fight it, or you're going to spend your whole time fighting it. Acknowledge the thought. Ah, bookshelf. Number two, jot down the thought. Just a word or two. I wrote down bookshelf. And then release the thought and return to God. That might happen 432 times in 10 minutes. That's okay. We're practicing. Prepare. Step two, pray over your time, right? Marking your entrance into this time with God and opening yourself to God, positioning yourself before God. And I'm going to give you a prayer entitled, Gather Me to Be With You, written by Ted Loder in his prayer book, Gorillas of Grace. And we're going to read it in just a bit. Step three, then, I want you to read Psalm 46. Read this psalm that we just went through, reminding yourself that by living under God's protection and in his presence and by his power, that that brings 
peace. And then I want us to enter into an extended selah. Receiving this peace, feeling this peace, embracing this peace as we sit in silence with God in this refuge, this strong refuge of God's presence, aware of his presence, being still and knowing he is God and I don't need to be. And here's the thing, don't, don't rush anything. Don't force anything. Don't wait for the Adirondack chair to pull up next to you and put his hand on you. You don't have to rush or do anything. Just, just breathe and be. Just sit with God in this time. And if you fall asleep, that's okay. Sit with God. And as you sit with God, um, pay attention to this inner being, your thoughts, your emotions. And again, don't try and fight them. Feel them. Acknowledge them. Name them. Express them. And as you sit with them, share them with God. And, and ask yourself, like, what lies am I hearing and believing? Because hear me, the enemy loves to whisper when you sit in silence. How, how are those lies robbing you of the peace that God wants you to experience in him, in Christ? And how are those lies contradicting the truth that we read in God's word? And then release those cares, release those worries. Write down a word or two if you need to. And then return to God and experience his peace. Selah. And when the alarm goes off, give thanks to God. Thank God for this time together. Thank God for this refuge, this strong refuge, and for his peace. And here's the best part. You can't screw this up. Take a deep breath. Or you can't screw this up. You can't, you can't, you can't do silence wrong. Um, there's no grade on this. Just feel free to sit with God in silence. Like, I am granting you permission to just sit with God for 10 minutes this week. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.